It warms parents' hearts uh, to see their children trying to be like them. Imagine a toddler walking in his uh, dad's big shoes. Oftentimes, children are just like their parents. Oh, my goodness, aren't you a spitting image of your mother? Or, uh, or like, he's a chip off the old block, huh? And children, they emulate their parents. And for good reason, for years, they watch and listen and learn. And this, of course, is a general rule. Harry Chapin's song, The Cat's in the Cradle, shows the negative side of this general rule. The relationally detached father, in the end, raised a relationally detached son. The father ends up seeing his own failures in his son. But the opposite is also true. By God's grace alone, many children, they grow up to embrace the faith and faithfulness of their parents. See, they saw faith and faithfulness up close. They learned it and they were blessed by it. And though it sometimes may take a while, they end up emulating it. We look at the life of Jesus Christ and we realize, like father, like son, his perfections prove his begottenness. In John 12, 45, Jesus preached, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. He said to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We know the Son belongs to the Father by seeing how the Son emulates the Father. Jesus is the image of the Father, the exact imprint of his Father's nature. And God created us in his image, and that image has been disfigured by sin. But through the Son, we are adopted by the Father. The good news is that by God's grace and spirit, God's image is being restored to us that we may be like him. As Paul wrote, our new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, as Paul wrote in Romans 8. And because we belong to the Father, the call on our lives is what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our Father calls us to like Father, like Son. See, salvation is not simply just a get-out-of-hell-free card. Salvation is identity transformation unto ongoing behavior modification and divine emulation ending in the consummation of divine confirmation. In other words, in other words, we are adopted and given a new identity in order to be like our Heavenly Father, holy, righteous, and good. The work of conversion has begun in us and our Father will complete this work as he promises in Philippians 1.6. Our Father will make us like him as he promises in 1 John 3.2. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be like has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. What's my point? Brothers and sisters, we need to know our Father's heart. We need to know how our Father treats his little ones because our Father's call on our lives is like Father, like Son. He calls us to be like him. We will not be like him if we do not know him. What we learn about God 
in Jesus' parable of the lost sheep greatly informs how we relate to one another inside the church. We need to know the Father in order to know how to treat one another. Each section of Matthew 18 is interconnected. The order of the verses is, is important, significant, and the parable of the lost sheep is central to the chapter. This little parable helps us understand the whole chapter. And it's transformative. It's comforting. It's powerful. And when you get it, I mean, when it, when, when it really sinks in, and when you keep reading in Matthew 18, you realize more and more the importance of church membership, shepherding care from your elders, submitting to your elders and to one another, mutual accountability and rebuke when necessary. This, this little parable also helps you better understand the means that God uses to protect and care for you. It helps you see the goodness of church discipline and its protection of you and the entire church, which we'll get to next week. I hope you get this, this little parable so that you know what to expect from your brothers and sisters in Christ and so you can be better equipped and ready to do your part to help protect your brothers and sisters in Christ from the devastation of sin. So here's where I'm headed. Five simple points. Number one, our Father's loving heart. Number two, our Father's relentless care. Number three, our Father's divine joy. Number four, our Father's sovereign will. And number five, our Father's filial call. First, our Father's loving heart. Matthew has already taught us a good bit about our Father's loving heart. Remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus taught, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We are called to love, folks, because our Father loves. When Jesus taught us his disciples how to pray, he said, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He taught them to pray, our Father Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts precisely because our Father knows us and he cares for us. Jesus taught about anxiety and how much the Father feeds and cares for these little birds and how he dresses little flowers of the field with radiant beauty and how much more valuable his children are to him than birds and flowers. The father has a loving heart, a loving disposition toward his precious little ones. Jesus also talked about how earthly fathers, they give good gifts to their children. And, and he said, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Our father's loving heart compels him to respond and to give good things to his precious little ones. In Matthew 10, Jesus encouraged his disciples not to fear men, but to fear God because God is sovereign and he has the hairs on their head all numbered. No sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's will and God values his children more than sparrows so they can be absolutely confident and comforted that their lives are firmly in his sovereign and loving hands. In Matthew 11, Jesus 
talked about the father revealing precious gospel truths to little children. And he said, yes, father, for such was your gracious will. The father's heart is gracious and kind. Folks, this is one reason Lectio Continua preaching or preaching sequentially through whole books of the Bible is so valuable because we can follow the author's line of thought. Matthew is leading us somewhere here. He wants to show us in part the extravagant love of our Heavenly Father. So then we come to verses 1 through 9. And isn't the Father's loving heart manifest in verses 1 through 9? You have to look maybe pretty hard, but it's there. God's judgment, right, is terrifying in verses 6 through 9, in part because of the extent of God's love for his little ones. The, the millstone sea drowning is forceful because of the Father's love of his precious Little ones, the woes to the world and tempters are forceful because of the Father's love of his precious little ones. Jesus' warnings about sin and hell, they're forceful because of the Father's love of his precious little ones. Can you see it in the text? As we unpack verses 10 through 14, I think you're going to sense the Father's profound love for his little ones who are so valuable and so important to him. Second, our father's relentless care. Look at the second half of verse 10. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. It may actually be the face of your father who is in heaven. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's a mystifying verse. Does verse 10 mean that every little child has a personal guardian angel or every Christian? I don't think so. Uh, scripture doesn't give clear evidence that one angel is assigned to one person. That's more of a Jewish idea rooted in extra biblical texts. We need to be careful that other religions or our culture or religious art uh, does not shape our beliefs, but that scripture alone shapes our beliefs. Angels are real, but much of what people believe about them is folklore. Some think angels refers here not to heavenly beings, but to the souls of little ones. After death, that they are in the presence of God, seeing his face. In other words, don't despise these little ones because their destiny is the presence of God. Well, that, that might be, but probably not. Here's a more likely meaning of verse 10. God created angels. They are real. They are God's servants. Notice in verse 10, the angels are not continually on earth. They are in the presence of God in heaven. Angels are always ready to take direct orders from God to protect and preserve God's little ones. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Hebrews 1 chapter four, uh, uh, verse 14 says of God's angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? God sends out his angels from his presence to serve his little ones. The angels are agents of the Father's relentless care. God tells his angels to go and serve his little ones, and the angels gladly and immediately go. 
And doesn't this relate to the Lord's prayer? We pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is being done in heaven as the angels joyfully do his bidding. Psalm 103 verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. These beautiful and mighty creatures are ever beholding the face of God and ever doing his will and ever doing his pleasure. And when he deploys them to go and serve his little ones, they go immediately and they serve his little ones. I think Calvin was right to say, quote, let us rest satisfied with holding that the care of the whole church is committed to angels to assist each member as his necessities shall require, end quote. Saints, God has an army of ministering spirits ready to help you and help me. Why? Because he deeply loves us and is ever caring for us. Your heavenly father is ever promoting and ever preserving your well-being. His care for you is truly relentless. And I don't think we should get weird with verse 10. Let's not get weird with verse 10 uh, and create this fantastical doctrine of angels from it. That would be to miss the point. The point is the Father is always aware of your needs and is always caring for your needs because you belong to him. If we're not careful with verse 10, we may trust in angels instead of the Father. We may be in awe of angels instead of being in awe of the Father. And that's, that's called idolatry. Our comfort in life and death is not the presence and protection of angels, but that our Father is caring for us, body and soul, in ways that we do not fully understand. One scholar warned, and I think this is appropriate, quote, it is bad doctrine that makes creatures secure by creatures. We should not look to angels to preserve us, but to God. Anything less is superstitious at best and blasphemous at worst. End quote. Don't make much of angels. Make much of God. Be comforted that the Father cares for you and your brothers and sisters in Christ, indeed the entire church, and deploys an army of ministering spirits to protect you, his little ones, along your pilgrim way to the celestial city. Now look at verse 12. Jesus asked his disciples a question. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Jesus likened the father to a shepherd who has great interest in his sheep, even his stray sheep. Jesus tells this parable to teach them about their father so that they can be like him. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a similar parable, except there the sheep are lost unbelievers, and God goes after them and finds them, and they repent and are saved. It's an evangelistic parable. Here the parable is different. Jesus speaks of a wayward believer who falls into sin and strays from the church for a time they wander from the church and its safety and they pursue that which harms them and that which could absolutely kill them. But their shepherd, their father, loves them. His heart is gracious. His heart is kind. 
So he goes after his little strays. He doesn't forget about them. He doesn't consider them lost for good. He goes and gets them because they belong to him and he brings them back. The father uses his gracious and powerful means to bring his strays, his stray sheep, his stray little ones back into the security of the church where his relentless care is enjoyed. Do you know someone that has professed faith at some point but has wandered from Jesus and wandered from the church? Do you know professing believers who are disconnected from the church? Now, they may not belong to the Father. They may not be true sheep. They may actually be goats, similar to the false teachers in 1 John 2.19. It can be said of many who are disconnected from the church, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. When people walk away from the faith and or walk away from the church, it may be that they never truly belong to the Father. That's very possible. That said, for those who do belong to the Father, and this is our hope and this is our prayer, for those who have confessed Christ but are wandering and are disconnected from the church, our Father will go and get them. Pray for it. If, if they belong to the Father, the Father will go to them, the Father will find them, and the Father will bring them back. It is his sovereign will. It is his sovereign pleasure. It is the promise of this parable. It is the promise of the gospel. We, we do not have exhaustive knowledge of God's plans or of the spiritual conditions of others. But we can trust in the sovereign decrees of God. Trust in his providence. Trust in his sovereign mercy and grace. Trust in Christ and the power of the gospel. And we can trust that the Father loses Absolutely not even one of his little ones. The father's care doesn't always appear relentless, but it is because of his heart for his little ones. I like how Dr. Ligon Duncan summarized this passage. He said this, Jesus is using an illustration that we can all identify with in order to emphasize to us not that God loves some of his children more than others, but to show that God loves all of his children and each of them individually. He shows special concern and care for even those who are lost, even those who are weak, even those who are marginalized, even those who look like they are straying away. He is concerned to regain them. He has a specific and special concern for each one of us. That is the point of this passage, end quote. Dear little ones, the Father loves you and is relentlessly caring for you. You may wander. He will not lose you. He will not lose you. Sin may distract you. He will not lose you. The threat of hell may loom. He will not lose you. Sometimes as you and I, we walk behind the shepherd with the rest of the flock, joyful, scampering, frolicking, and something intriguing catches our eye off in the distance and we slow down and we start to turn and we keep turning and we scamper off after that which has caught our eye. Soon enough we realize we've chased sin away from the shepherd. We've chased sin away from the flock. But then, but then unexpectedly 
Our loving Father comes to us and with gentleness and care picks us up and says, you naughty little sheep. Why did you wander from me? You belong to me. I'm taking you back to the flock where I can care for you. There. And he brings us back. That's the relentless care of our Father. I think Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16 wonderfully parallels and illuminates Matthew 18, 10 through 14. I think Ezekiel's prophetic word is a beautiful picture of Christ, of how the Father saves all his precious little ones. This is a picture of our salvation achieved by Christ and the relentless care of our Father. Just take it in. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out, seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Isn't that the essence of verses 10 through 14? Doesn't that explain the Father's heart? Doesn't that explain his relentless care of his sheep? It's not that he loves the strays more than the 99. He loves them all. And that's the point. He goes after even the strays. He goes after them in order to reunite them to the 99 under his care. And Dr. Duncan said, but Jesus in this context in verses 12 through 14 uses the illustration of a shepherd looking after a lost sheep to show us the heart of God and to teach us something about how we ought to relate to each other. Look at the Father, dictates how we are to relate to one another. And that's what I want you to understand, like Father, like Son. See the Father's loving heart toward his precious little ones and see the Father's relentless care of his little ones and emulate your Father by loving and caring for one another. This is a critical point. Jesus is showing us the Father so that we know how to treat one another inside the church. This passage influences how your elders seek to shepherd you. This passage influences how we are to handle sin inside of the church. This passage influences how you and I are to care for one another's souls. And we'll unpack this more in the coming weeks, but we have to get this point. Look at the Father. Look at the Father. We'll unpack it, but you have to know the Father in order to understand how the church works. Third, our Father's divine joy. Look at verse 13 again. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. 
The father rejoices over his wayward little ones when he finds them and when he restores them to the church. He rejoices over them. He, he does not disown them. Nasty sheep, apart from me. No, he finds what belongs to him because of their father's loving heart and relentless care. They are now repenting from their waywardness and walking again in obedience. And the father rejoices. He, here, his rejoicing is not acquiring a sheep that wasn't his. That's not it. The sheep was already his. And that's why he went and that's why he found it and that's why he brought it back. He is overjoyed to bring his beloved little sheep back. The assumption is bringing them back. The, the going and finding is with the intent to bring them back from their waywardness. This is a picture of repentance and restoration by God's sovereign grace. Okay. What might like father, like son, look like for you and me when it comes to verse 13? Do we have a heart for strays? Uh, how do we handle strays here at our church? Do we let them go? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Do, do we let them go or do we try to go out and find them? Do we do our best to make an appeal out of concern for their souls? So let's think about this as a church of how this applies. Fourth, our Father's sovereign will before looking at verse 14, consider what Jesus taught in the temple one winter day. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now notice the connection between two critical lines there. They will never perish, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father doesn't allow his precious little ones to stray to the point of perishing. He won't have it. He goes and gets them. He finds them before the point of perishing. They will not perish apart from him, away from him, ever. An official position paper of a popular denomination in our area is titled Assurance of the Believer. That's the title, Assurance of the Believer, which is really a misnomer. There's absolutely no assurance for the believer in this position paper. It expresses an idea that not only contradicts Scripture, but undermines the assurance and comfort of believers. It says this, quote, While believers are eternally secure in Jesus the Christ, we can forfeit that security. It later adds, In Christ we are secure. Nothing but our own rebellion can separate us from the love of God. What a horrific and disturbing idea. An anti-gospel idea. I thought that Christ saved us from our rebellion against God so that nothing can separate us from his love, including our ongoing inclination to stray. 
The idea that God is unable to keep his little ones in his grace and protection is no gospel at all and is contrary to Matthew 18 and many other passages of scripture. That kind of theology lays a huge, massive burden on believers and leads them right into insecurity, despair, and hopelessness, or pride, self-reliance, and legalism, and ultimately undermines their assurance, undermines their comfort in the Father's love and relentless care. Our comfort in life and death is that we belong to God because Christ has redeemed us and made us his own and that God loves us. And when we stray, he loves us when we stray and he promises to to come to us, to get us, to restore us, to bring us back. What does it do to the soul, brothers and sisters, to think that when we stray, God will not come after us but he will just let us go because we have chosen to go. What does that do to your soul? That's not gospel. The work of grace, the Father begins, the Father completes. Think carefully about verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now hear the connection to John 10. They will never perish. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, will of God is a nuanced phrase. As R.C. Sproul noted, it can refer to the counsel of God, the plan of God, the decrees of God, the disposition or attitude of God, as well as other things. So it's nuanced. Um, In verse 14, I think Jesus is referring to the decretive will of God. God has not decreed that even one of his little ones should perish. His sovereign decree is their security. Therefore, they are forever firmly and securely in his hand. They will never perish, as Jesus told us. He has sovereignly decreed it. Therefore, as verses 12 and 13 describe, when they stray, he goes after them and makes sure to bring them back. He he doesn't leave them in their sin to perish. He finds them and he brings them back because they belong to him and are very precious to him. He wants them and our Father's loving heart, relentless care, divine joy, and sovereign will do not encourage straying. Quite the opposite. They secure the close walk behind the good shepherd and alongside of his other sheep. Sovereign grace warms our hearts so that we don't want to stray, but that we we want to stay close to the good shepherd. We want to stay close to the other sheep. Knowing that God will come get you doesn't promote ungodliness. It gives comfort that motivates godliness. Theology matters. Be comforted by the truth of God's sovereign grace and election. Fifth, our Father's filial call. Filial call. Filial is that which relates to son or daughter. Our Father's filial call is his call for us as his children to be just like him. Like father, like son. Look at verse 10 where Jesus began this section. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Jesus began with the filial call. See means to concern yourself with something, to attend to something. See to it 
that my beloved little ones, or see to it, my beloved little ones, that you do not despise the other little ones that belong to me. That's the essence of it. And after the filial call, Jesus gave justification for the filial call, what the Father's heart is like, what the Father does to chase his sheep, sheep down. Look at the Father. See his loving heart, relentless care, divine joy, and sovereign will. And make sure that you don't despise or look down on or treat with contempt even one of his precious little ones. Even the strays. You get the idea. This is not evangelism for unbelievers. This is a, a professing believer from among us who strays into sin and needs to be brought back. They're not walking in faithfulness. We can't just let them go because that's not how the Father handles things. And, and, and Jesus is about to teach how to handle strays who have scampered off into sin and each of us, brothers and sisters, has a role to play uh, in protecting the church, we have a role to play in church discipline, and we're about to get there. This little parable, it prepares us to hear what Jesus has to say next. So we need to have, like father, like son, that mentality in our minds to understand how the father brings his wayward little ones back. I read something pretty cool from this site, www.sheep101.info. It was interesting. I read this. Sheep are very social animals. In a grazing situation, they need to see other sheep. In fact, ensuring that sheep always have visual contact with other sheep will prevent excess stress when moving, handling, or housing them. According to animal behaviorists, a group of five sheep is usually necessary for sheep to display their normal flocking behavior. A sheep will become highly agitated if it is separated from the rest of the flock. Did you hear that? I wonder if you heard that. A sheep will become highly agitated if it is separated from the rest of the flock. Being with the flock is really the only protection sheep have you see, sheep don't handle swords and guns very well. They've got to be with the group to stay protected by the flock. If they're not with the flock, if they're not being protected with the flock and, and sense that they're agitated, they're unsettled, they're unsafe. When the father finds and brings back one of his precious little ones, he brings them back into the safety and the fellowship of the church, which is essential to their assurance, peace, joy, and comfort. Now, a lot of dots, I think, are going to connect as we move along in, in Matthew 18. Did you know that each of you has a role in protecting one another from the devastation of sin? Your souls are their business. Your souls are their business. They should be asking. We should be helping. If we let each other alone, we do not have the, the uh, heart of the Father. Father doesn't leave us alone. It's true. I've, I've made the case that the Father goes and gets his wayward little ones, but I haven't explained how he does it practically. And, and we're going to begin to unpack that next time. But let me give you a taste of it. Listen to this quote from this great study Bible. His eagerness to seek the lost and his rejoicing when he finds the lost must be reflected in believers' readiness 
to approach and correct a sinning brother in order to gain him. Our Father's filial call to us is to go to our brothers and sisters in their sin and to seek to bring them back from their waywardness. We all sin. And we all need each other's accountability and correction. I I believe that God goes after his straying little ones through the shepherding ministry of the local church and the accountability provided inside the local church. Again, this is why church membership is so vital for your well-being. God cares for your soul through tender and spirit-filled shepherds or elders who minister to you and And you need to care for each other as well. It's really a group effort here. Sheep needs to be in constant contact with one, with other sheep, because for them, that's the safest. That's when they're safe. So formative verses are coming, and I hope that you're ready for them. Uh, And you'll be ready for them if you see the Father's loving heart, relentless care, divine joy, sovereign will, and filial call.